Good morning. Good morning. How many of you guys, we just, we can't resist a good comeback series, right? A good comeback. Um, the one I'm rejoicing in right now is the weather. How many of you guys are saying amen? Yesterday was incredible. Did you guys get to go outside? It was incredible. We went to the spring game and we get there, we sit down and then I'm looking at all my kids and I'm like, I didn't even bring sunscreen. You will all be burned today. Because we're so not, we weren't expecting the sun to actually come out, right? It's just so beautiful. Well, I'm so glad to see everyone this morning. Um, I have the privilege to, to be able to speak to you guys for the next few minutes. My name is Bethany. And, you know, we are right in the middle of the series. It's about the comeback. And we're using the verse from uh, Romans 8:11. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And we're talking about making a comeback in your life, in different areas of your life. And, you know, um... How many of you guys really enjoy being trapped? Right? Like nobody. I mean, sometimes you have the little kid, maybe you had a sibling that was like this, that was like, tie me up as much as you can. Or like, wrap me into this blanket, burrito style, as hard as you can. You know what I mean? And they're like, watch me get loose. Or, okay, or whatever, right? There's always that one kid, but most of us, we do not like to be trapped. Is that right? Maybe you've been trapped in different things in your life. Maybe you have gone into someone's bathroom, you know, at their house, and then you went to go out and you couldn't get it unlocked. That's happened to me. You know, you start to panic and you're like, am I ever going to get out of here? Am I ever going to get out of here? And you start like your hand doesn't work anymore. You're trying to get it unlocked, but you're panicking too much, you know, and it, and it doesn't quite work. And then you're like, do I scream yet? Is it time to scream yet? When do I scream and get them to come help me, you know? And then you get out and it like opens easily and you act like nothing just happened, you know? And you're like, oh, I just... Went to the bathroom perfectly normal. I wasn't afraid I was going to have to live in there or anything, I promise. But we don't like to be trapped. Maybe you've been trapped inside of a conversation. Yeah, those are the worst. You can't get out. You can't leave. That's the worst on an airplane. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. I have to talk to you for the next 17 hours, right? Um, you know, my daughter, she's almost two years old. And she, uh, a little bit ago, maybe a, almost two months, she started crawling out of her crib. And that was a sad day for me, right? Because, you know, for that, that time when they're in a crib, it's a wonderful trapped. It's the most beautiful trapped, right? You're like, this is where you go, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Unless you're a mom of small kids, and then you know I'm not kidding. <laughs> But, but that's a beautiful time, and so she started to crawl out of her crib, and so, you know, I just, we just made it into a toddler bed. I was like, oh, I'm not, we're not doing this. So she's in a toddler bed, and she's a little bit younger than when I normally like to have my kids go in a toddler bed. So she's found this new freedom. Her whole life, up until now, she gets trapped into this cage with no lid, right? And so now, suddenly, she has this freedom. I can just get out of my bed whenever I want. And we're like, no, Penny, back in bed, back in bed. No, but it's open. I can leave. No one's holding me back. And so, you know, every night since we've done this, um, I, you sleep really close to the edge of the bed. And she has also been getting teeth, so she's just always a snotty mess. And so every night, in the middle of the night, I wake up because I hear, like, right in front of me. And I open my eyes, and there's this tiny baby, stare, like, right next to my face looking at me. And she's carrying, like, every blanket she owns. And I'm like, no, bed, bed. 
bed, right? And I'm trying to get her to, to go back into her bed. Well, uh, you know, we just had this huge Easter egg hunt, and we had 10,000 Easter eggs. And my uh, living room was actually the um, landing pad for these Easter eggs and candy, which, you know, that's an insurmountable amount of temptation for children, right? So I would tell the kids, don't touch those Easter eggs. Don't you dare touch those Easter eggs. I knew full well. They're getting into the Easter eggs. Every time my back is turned, they are eating the candy, right? And so uh, Penny, though, one night in the middle of the night, I hear this, like, rustling, like wrappers. And I'm like, what? And I, I'm thinking it's Jack. He's three. And I'm like, Jack's getting into the Easter candy. I'm like, barge in there, you know, and it's complete darkness in that room. And Penny is sitting there, complete darkness, surrounded with candy wrappers just eating away and she's not even two she can't even open them so she's like biting them open and eating the wrapper and all and I'm like Penny and she gets startled she didn't hear me coming you know she was enjoying too much and she looks at me and I'm like what are you you know she doesn't even talk so she's like jabbering you're like go to bed you know I take her up to her bed and and then um later hours later you know I'm asleep and I hear this crying and so I get out of bed because you know it's a kid crying so I start going to their room to see what's wrong and and I realized the crying is not coming from their room. It's coming from the living room again. So I'm like, okay, there's a kid in the living room. So I go back to the living room, and she was asleep on the floor. It's wood floor, you know, cold, and completely surrounded with wrappers. There's wrappers on top of her. There's wrappers all around her. It's basically like a chalk outline of chocolate wrappers. There's chocolate all over her face. She's sticky. I think she had been, you know, eating the fruit of her labor, and fallen asleep, and then woke up in the night, was like, why am I cold on the floor? What am I doing here? Where's my bed and my blankets? You know, I, and I took her to her bed. But none of us, we don't like to be trapped. We don't like to be trapped. And you know, in the Bible, I want to talk to you guys about a story, a man, and he was trapped. And this story, it, it happens in John chapter 11. And there's this family, and they're actually Jesus' friends. And their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, um, I mean, how cool that they are literally Jesus' friends, right? You have his disciples, and when you read the, the Gospels, you kind of get the feeling that maybe Jesus' disciples are not really his friends, right? They're always doing crazy things and saying things. And you, you can just kind of see, like, Jesus' patience level going up, you know, it, every time he's talking to them, you know. Like, even in this story, um, Lazarus, he, he gets so sick that he actually dies. And so Jesus says to his disciples, let's go. We're going to go over there. And one of his disciples says, yeah, let's go so we can all die too. Like, What? What are you saying, you know? But these are actually Jesus' friends. And so um, Mary and Martha, the sisters, their brother is sick. And in, in the first service, I was telling them how he, the, Lazarus, he was sick with something a little bit more than a man cold. And um, I'm kidding. Just kidding. And so, and so they send word to Jesus. They said, this cold is getting bad. We need to call Jesus. I'm teasing. But he's sick, and so they send word to Jesus. And Jesus gets this message, and it says, come quick. Lazarus is sick, right? They want Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. They've seen Jesus do these amazing miracles, right? They've seen him heal blind men. They've seen him heal lepers, right? You're not supposed to come back from leprosy, and yet one touch from Jesus and you're healed. And so they say, Jesus, please come and heal our brother. And so Jesus, eventually he, he starts going to the town. It's the town of Bethany, but by this time, Lazarus has died. 
And so he gets to the outskirts of the town and Martha, one of the sisters, she comes up to Jesus and she said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Can you imagine the sadness that you literally are friends with this man who heals people and he was too late for your brother? I mean, it would just be such sorrow that you're like, we were so close. We had the answer and he just wasn't here. He couldn't get here in time. And Jesus, he has a remarkable conversation with Martha in that moment. And he says, Martha, do you believe that even now I can resurrect your brother? And Martha, she doesn't quite understand. She says, oh yeah, we we all are gonna be resurrected at the end of the day, you know, at the end of times. And Jesus, he says something, he says, I am the resurrection and the life and no one will come to the Father but through me. This incredible, powerful word that he says to Martha. And then Martha, she goes back to the house and she gets her sister Mary and she says, Mary, Mary, Jesus is here. And so Mary, she runs to Jesus and she finds him and then she begins crying and she falls at his feet and she says, Jesus, the same thing. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And this is the one time in the Bible that we see Jesus express this intense emotion. It says that Jesus literally wept He sees the sorrow that they have and he weeps for them. And so then Jesus says, take me, take me to the tomb. And you know, in in that time, the tombs, they weren't like, they didn't bury the bodies in the ground, but they would find caves and they would put the bodies into caves. They would wrap them in cloths and they'd put perfume on them and put them in a cave and then they'd put a big stone in front of the cave. And so they take Jesus to the tomb. And he gets there and, you know, they're assuming, right, that Jesus is coming to mourn his friend. He's, he's crying, so he's just coming to mourn his friend. But he gets to that tomb and he says something to him. He says, move the stone, right? Can you imagine if you were standing there as a mourner and you're like, huh? Does this guy not understand what's going on right now? This is a funeral. We don't move the stone. We just moved it there and it was heavy right? We're not going to move it again. This guy is dead. And Martha, she goes up to Jesus and she says, uh, you know, Lord, listen, I, I know you want to move the stone. My brother's been dead for four days. It's going to stink really bad. I really recommend we leave the stone where it is. And can you imagine what it's going to smell like? Some of you can imagine more than others, right? But imagine, and they're saying, no, Jesus, what are you thinking? Don't move the stone. But he says, move the stone. And so they move the stone. And then in this amazing scene, Jesus, he looks into this dark cave and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now imagine what you'd be thinking. Oh my goodness, he doesn't know he's dead. That's what's wrong. He's crazy. We all thought he was sane and he's not, right? You just, you can't imagine what what they're thinking there in that moment. And yet Jesus, he knows, no, something's gonna happen right now. And so he yells into that tomb, Lazarus, you come forth. And miraculously, Lazarus walks out of that tomb. And you know what? For every single one of us, if you're a Christ follower, this is what has happened in our life, is that we were in that tomb. We were dead in our own sin. We were dead in our own trespasses. We didn't know right from wrong. We didn't know left from right. We didn't know who we were made to be. And Jesus comes and he stands in front of that tomb and he says, come forth. And he resurrects us and we walk out of that tomb as a new creation. This is salvation for us. Isn't that incredible? And so Lazarus, he comes out of the tomb. And then I want to focus on verse 44. 
talking about Lazarus, it says the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I love this verse because Jesus, he, the work wasn't done. Yes, Lazarus, literally dead. Four days, here's Jesus's voice. Oh, Jesus told me to come out. Better wake up and get out of here, right? I think this is interesting that even the dead obey Jesus, right? Even the dead obey Jesus. And so Lazarus, you know, oh, hey, what happened, right? I was eating that delicious chicken Martha made. I started choking. Something happened, you know, and then I woke up in this cave, you know. But he doesn't know what's going on, and yet the work isn't done. When he gets outside of the cave, Jesus has another command. He says, unbind him, let him go. Why? Because Lazarus is wrapped in these grave clothes. His feet are bound. His hands are bound. His face is completely wrapped up. Wouldn't that be absurd if he decided to keep him on? right? Can you imagine if this man who was just raised from the dead was like, oh, no, 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 don't unbind me. Actually, it's really comfortable. I really, really like these grave clothes. They have this scent that I've really gotten used to. They're, they kind of keep me warm. Also, you know, I was in that tomb alone, and none of you were there, but those grave clothes were there, and they were a comfort to me, and you don't know what it was like when I was there, but the grave clothes know what it was like. What if he kept him on, right? It would turn this miracle into this absurdity, right? Years later, you're like, go over to, you know, to a local restaurant. I'm sure they had those in this day. And, you know, you sit down. Oh, no, Lazarus is here. Let's get out of here. That guy reeks. He's still wearing those grave clothes. What is wrong with that man, right? And you would leave because it doesn't make sense. Why would we walk around when we're alive with our grave clothes on? And yet that's what so many of us do is that Jesus resurrects our life. He raises us from the dead. We hear him calling us, come forth. We walk out of that tomb. We give him our life. And then he says, unbind him, let him go. And we say, oh, no, 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 no. I like these clothes. They keep me comfortable. They keep me warm. This is the only way I've known. So I wear them. And we walk around with grave clothes when Jesus has already resurrected our life. You know, when I was a little baby, I was always, I've always been a happy person. My mom, she, she always says this, that I was the happiest baby that she's ever met. Boom, beat all my siblings. This was actually an easy thing to do because I was four years old when my brother was born. He literally screamed from morning to night. I remember it as a four-year-old. I would, every day I'd be like, I'm going outside to get away from him, right? I mean, so it was an easy thing for me to be the happiest baby, right? But, but that's what my mom said. That's who I was. I was a happy person, and that's who I've always been. I've been a happy person, and it's hard for life to really get me down. And, um, but you know, when I was, I grew up in church, I was raised by, in a Christian home, and so I was in youth group in the 90s. Was I really? No, not really. Mostly the 2000s, but a little bit of the 90s. You know, that's the best time to be in a youth group. Seriously, you guys are missing out. If you're in youth now, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nothing is nearly as absurd as it was then. But it, it was a great time to be in youth. And you know, I went to this conference once. And um, at this conference, they were having an altar call. I was 13 years old. I remember it so well. I've been really thinking about in, in my life how a lot of the women in my family were sad. 
they really battled depression day in, day out, most of the women in my family. And, and I remember just thinking like, I don't know how, I'm, I just feel happy. I'm happy. And I remember in that altar call, you know, people, they're playing music and, and whatever. And I remember praying and I said, God, I don't want to ever be like those women. I just want to be happy. Whatever it is that makes them sad, that makes them depressed, Lord, I want to be happy. And, you know, I, I never, I didn't have a problem with, with depression in my life. I, I stayed happy. And then when I was 15 years old, we had this youth leader in our youth group. And so she's in her early 20s. And, you know, she was that youth leader that I would like, you know, I was a, you know, a bit of a class clown. So I would like make a funny joke and she would like gl be glaring at me. Everybody else laughing, you know, you're scanning to see who's laughing. And then you're like glaring. You're like, hmm, she didn't like my joke. Maybe she doesn't have a sense of humor, right? <laughs> but it was like every time, you know, I started to get the feeling that this youth leader didn't like me. And, and I was a pretty confident person, so it didn't really get me down that much. <laughs> oh, you don't have a sense of humor. You got problems with you, right? And, and so it kind of bugged me, but it didn't bug me a whole lot. But I knew this youth leader doesn't really like me. And so one time our, our youth pastor, he, uh, somehow he heard wind of this. There's a youth leader and a youth, and they don't like each other. And, and um, honestly, I did not like her. I liked her just fine. But I knew that person. I don't think they liked me. And so um, he decided, I'm going to take them out to Round Table Pizza. That's where everything can be solved. All conflicts of the world. Round Table Pizza, lunch lunch buffet, and we're all good to go. And so he picks me up because I'm not old enough to drive, and we go down there. And you know for this youth pastor, he's totally thinking, it's these two chicks. They're just, like, you know, hitting themselves, like hitting their heads. I can't think of the, you know what I'm saying. Butting heads the wrong way. You know, they're just miscommunication. And I'm going to sit them down, and they're going to be like, no, I just thought you didn't like me. I thought you didn't like me. I love you. You know what I mean? And this is going to be perfect. And we're going to eat delicious pizza, right? And so, and so we get there and, and we sit down, we get our food in the buffet and we sit down. Well, this girl, she just begins to unload on me. It's not that she doesn't like me. I mean, she hates me. And she begins to tell me all the reasons I am the worst, I'm the worst person. She's just attacking me in every way. And I am shocked. I'm like 15, getting ready to really enjoy this pepperoni pizza. And I can't even eat. I can't believe. I can't believe she doesn't like me, right? <laughs> and I can't believe the things that she's saying about me and, and how horrible I am and all these things. And I was never the kind of person that could express my emotions. As a young person, I, I, just, I, I couldn't even talk to my parents about things I was going through. I just had a hard time expressing myself. I hardly ever would, would cry. And yet in that moment, I started bawling. I mean, like ugly cry, can't talk, right? Because I can't believe this. It, it caught me off guard so much and I'm just bawling and I can't get it together. You know, when you, you can't even quite breathe anymore and you're like, <laughs> and so the youth pastor at this point, he's like, oh man, we got to get out of here. We are making a scene at Round Table Pizza, right? And, and so, so he, you know, he quickly like shoes us out of there. And I know he probably was just like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know what to do. I wasn't expecting this. I don't know what to do. So he just drove me home and dropped me off and split. <laughs> and so I'm a mess. And I walk in my house and, and my poor mom, she sees me coming home from a pizza date, right? It's supposed to be fun. And I'm just bawling. And she's immediately, what is going on? What happened? What is wrong with you? And I can't, I can't even talk to her, you know? And I'm like, I can't, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. And so I just say, I'm going for a walk, you know? And I leave and I decide to go for a walk. My sister, she was, 
three years older, and so she, like, got the scoop, you know, and then let my mom know <laughs> what was going on. But I decided to go for this walk, and I'm walking, and, and I'm just thinking about all these things this lady said about me. And all this, I mean, just pure injustice that I'm, oh, I'm only 15 years old, and you're an adult, and you should have it together. And you, you know, and I'm just stewing. I'm stewing about this injustice, and I'm just, I'm just you know, just feeling so good, feeling all this self-pity for myself. I'm just thinking about how sad this is for me, right? And I get to this four-way intersection, and I'm on the sidewalk, and, and I remember clearly I stopped, and I looked both ways to go. And in that moment, I remember God so clearly speaking to me in my heart, and he said, stop, turn around, go home. And I just stood there, and I knew I got to stop stewing in this. I got to stop dwelling on this. But I didn't want to. Because something about it, it felt good to feel like I have the right to feel mad. I have the right to feel angry. I have the right to feel hurt. I have the right to feel sad. And something about it, it made me feel good. And sadly, I didn't go home. I decided to walk on and I just kept going for that walk and kept thinking about how horrible this is that it's happening in my life. You know, from that moment on, I dealt with serious depression for years, and it was horrible. I was still a, a happy person on the outside. I went to church. I, I served in our youth group, in, in kids' church, anywhere I could. I was always at church. I had friends. I, had, I was like the life of the party. But as soon as I was home in my room alone, I was sad. Just the just, just, just spirit almost of heaviness, of depression would come on me, and I'd feel such sadness. I didn't know why. And I would think about it. Why am I sad? I don't need to be sad. I have the Lord. I don't need to be sad, and yet I was. And I remember the night before my 16th birthday, I was sitting in this ugly green chair. I collected ugly furniture. Some of you guys have been in my house are like, you still do, <laughs> Right? But I, I really did. The uglier that I found it like at a yard sale, I was like, this is incredibly ugly. And someone needs to own it. And that someone is me. Like, literally, that's what I thought, you know. And so I had the most ugly green chair. If I could find it, I would get it because it, it was a masterpiece of ugliness. And, and I was sitting in this ugly chair, and the next day is going to be my birthday. And I was so sad, and I, I didn't care about my birthday, and I didn't care about life, and I didn't want to live anymore. And I remember being sad because I wanted to die. I wanted to take my own life. I didn't want to have to live anymore. But I also had this strong fear that if I killed myself, that I would go to hell. And so I sat there just like, I, what am I supposed to do? I can't live anymore, but I can't die. And I remember praying, praying to God and saying, God, I don't want to live anymore but I'm too scared to kill myself. Would you kill me? And I remember praying this all night long just because of this overwhelming sadness that I didn't need to have. And I, and I dealt with this sadness for years and years. And finally, when I was um, 19 years old, I was invited to go to this uh, uh, retreat it was called an encounter, and it was just a time to just get close to God and, and experience God. And they told us before we went through, they said, be praying and even fast. Ask God what you want him to do for you at this encounter. I didn't even have to ask because I knew. I said, God, this please, all I want from you, I don't want to be sad anymore. 
I, I don't want to be sad anymore because I was still, still battling this sadness all the time. And I went to that encounter and someone prayed for me. It was no big deal. It wasn't like a, you know, a big show or anything like that. But someone just prayed for me and it was gone. And I was never sad like that again. And it was broken off my life. And in that moment when they prayed for me, God showed me that day when I went for that walk. And he showed me when I had went back to the tomb and put on some comfortable grave clothes. That in that day, that's when I went back and I said, man, this is comfortable. This way of thinking feels really good. You see, last week, Jake, he talked about how sin is deceptive. We think we can get in and we can get out, but we never can with sin. We can never get in and get out. Sin always costs every single time. And it's so easy for us to think nobody knows and it doesn't cost. It costs you. It costs your, your marriage. It costs your future marriage. It costs your children every single time. Sin costs. And you know, it, it's so interesting in my life. Um, I, don't, I don't dabble in self-pity even in a little bit, right? Now, now that I know what I've been set free from, Now that I know, man, those years were dark and I don't ever want to go back to them. So now when something happens in my life and I feel that like, you know, comfort, kind of like, ooh, just feel bad for yourself. I say, no way. I'm not going, I'm not going back. I've been set free from those grave clothes. And that's what Jesus wants for every single one of us. You see, Jesus in this passage, in verse 44, he says, unbind him, let him go. In the same way for every single person in this room, Jesus speaks to you and he says, unbind him, let him go. And maybe you walk around with something that you were never made to walk around with. Jesus has resurrected your life. He has set you free. You are alive now. And you were never called to walk around in grave clothes. And Jesus says the same thing to you. Unbind him. And some of you today, you're dealing with addictions. You're dealing with with emotions that you know, I am stuck in this. And Jesus says, unbind him. Unbind her. Let her go. You don't have to walk in that anymore. God wants to set you free. There's a lot of verses in the Bible. I'm going to go through them, a few of them, real quick. It's clear. The Bible is clear that we are new and we have to leave the old behind. Romans 13, 12, it says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with all of its practices. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And 1 Corinthians 5, 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We are called to put away, to put off, to let go of that old and to just walk in the newness of life that God has created you for. Um, What I really like about the verse 44 is it says, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. You know, when we walk around in our grave clothes. There's four things that I think from this verse that it shows us that it stops us from. 
The first one is it says, you know, his feet were bound. When I walk around with grave clothes, I can't go where God wants me to go. His feet were bound up. When, when, when I was battling with depression, I couldn't go where God wanted me to go. I could barely make it. But that's not the life that God had called me to. He called me to be free. And when we, wear, when we wear grave clothes, we can't go where God wants us to go. And there's places in every single one of your life where you can, you're the only one who can go. So we have to be free so we can go. His hands were bound. When we, when we wear grave clothes, we can't do what God wants us to do. The Bible says that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't want my hands and feet to be tied up. And, and the last thing, his face was wrapped in a cloth. His eyes, he couldn't see what God wanted him to see. And his mouth, he couldn't speak what God wanted him to speak. Grave clothes stop us from being who God has called us to be. You know, the number one reason I believe that, Christian, that non-Christians don't want anything to do with Christians is because we're Christians walking around in our grave clothes and we look just like them. And they look at us and we say, don't you want to come to church? Don't you want to meet Jesus? Your life, it's going to be so much better. And they look at us and say, how is your life any better than mine? You're just as sad as me. You're just as addicted as me. You're just as messed up as me. And we say, no, I promise you on the inside, I'm new. And they say, but you smell like you're dead. Just like me. You're wrapped in grave clothes. We have to take them off in order to be the bold witnesses that God wants us to be. It's incredible when you meet someone and they just glow with the love of Jesus. And you go, what is different about you? And they can say, it's Jesus. I was in that tomb and he stood on the outside and he said, come forth. And I walked out and I took off those grave clothes and I never went back. And that's an incredible testimony that God wants every single one of us in this room to have. 